Welcome to the Fear and Greed Business Interview. I'm Sean Aylmum. Iron ore prices hit a three-month low this week. It's not good news for the big Australian miners, especially when you consider just how central it is to their business. It's not that good for the Australian budget either. At the same time, BHP has had to cut the value of its Brazilian assets. Also, it's written down some of its Australian nickel operations. When we're talking commodities, there's one person we go to at Fear and Greed. Vivek Dar is the Director of Mining and Energy Commodities Research at Commonwealth Bank. Vivek, welcome back to Fear and Greed. Oh, thank you. So companies reporting, the miners reporting at the moment, we just sort of, we thought we'd, we won't go through the companies per se. We're just interested in where commodities are up to at the moment, because obviously the price of commodities have such a major role. And we saw with BHP's earnings, 77% of its underlying earnings actually came from iron ore, for example. So big chunk of it. So can we run through some of the commodities and just think about the outlook uh, particularly given a few moves from China in the last few days as well. So let's start with iron ore. It's a big one. We export more iron ore than anything else. What do you think will happen to iron ore prices going forward, given where they are at the moment? Sure. So look, in terms of a view of iron ore, we actually started the year quite pessimistically on, on the outlook. You know, we saw prices lift above $140 a tonne at the very beginning of this year. And since then, it has actually come off. And this week, it has been a more material decline. And we're just north of $120 a tonne now. Now, in our view, a more reasonable level for prices is about $100 to $110 a tonne. And the reason why we have maintained our pessimism has come down to what is happening with steel mills in China. In particular, what is happening with their margins. Now, these margins have turned quite negative. And the last time that they were this negative, we actually saw iron ore prices crash. This was all the way back in June and July 2022, and it fell below $100 a tonne. So because of negative steel mill margins, we think the outlook for iron ore is something closer to $100 to $110 a tonne. And so from spot levels, that suggests downside. Okay. Having said all that, iron ore prices, even at that $100 to $110 a tonne, still are historically fairly high, aren't they? Because over the very long term, they've been much lower than that. And I suppose I'm just basing that on what Treasury forecasts have sort of said for years and years. Yeah, look, if if you look at, at Treasury forecasts, I would say that's more of a budget view as opposed to a forecast view. So they tend to be very, very conservative. But when you look at, at, at iron ore and, and you want to trace back how are we finding support at this $100 a tonne plus mark, particularly when we talk about these majors who have, you know, total costs of production to deliver into China at about that, that $30 a ton mark, you know, this incredible margins that they're achieving, right? But the real reason why we're at this $100 a ton plus mark has been that Vale, one of the biggest producers of iron ore, they had a dam collapse all the way back in January 2019. And what has filled the gap because of their fall in production has been higher cost supply. And therefore, we have seen markets have to accept higher prices. So hence, 100 to 110 makes sense for us. But if you take away that high cost supply, you could justify materially lower prices. But that's where the market is right now. Okay. Can we talk about coal, which sort of is a forgotten commodity in many ways in Australia? We had a couple of years ago, some of those coal companies did incredibly well off the back of really high prices. That's come off now. What's the outlook for coal, our second biggest export commodity? Sure. So look, this this is split by what's happening with uh, thermal coal and uh, coking coal. 
But when we look at, say, something like coking coal, our reasonable price, we would assume, is about, say, $200, $250 a ton. Now, when we look at, at coking coal, we think that one of the biggest drivers of this market over the, the medium term, and which is increasingly the case even in the short term, is India. So while India has an, is, is building out its steel sector and it's quite significant, they have big ambitions to be a larger steel producer. Now, they have iron ore to meet what they need to, to produce in terms of steel, but they don't have high-quality coking coal. So as a result of that, they are emerging as a key buyer of not just Australian but global coking coal. And this is something that is going to keep prices well-supported in our view this decade in terms of the outlook of, of coking coal. In terms of the decarbonization of steel, you know, it is a very challenging industry to really decarbonize and move away from coking coal. And really speaking, we'll have an idea of which, which decarbonization technology wins the race probably by 2030 at the earliest. So it, it is, coking coal still has time and, and it still has, has needs in the market. And that's how we're viewing that space. When it comes to thermal coal, you know, we've seen this market really marry up with what's happening in LNG markets. So both coal and LNG, they compete in the power space. So for marginal power generation, particularly in, in Asia. And so what happens with LNG prices tends to then have a flow on impact on thermal coal prices. So in terms of your outlook for, for thermal coal, it's actually probably going to be tied to what happens with Europe's gas situation in coming years. And so what we've seen so far is Europe has had more than enough gas, and that has weighed more heavily on thermal coal. And on top of that, we've seen Europe move more aggressively away from thermal coal over the last six to 12 months. So it's a little more of a sombering reality for thermal coal. Um, but still very elevated and still, you know, from a margin point of view from from the, from coal operators, it's still quite positive. Stay with me, Vivek. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Vivek Dar, Director of Mining and Energy Commodities Research at Commonwealth Bank. Okay, we've gone six minutes into this interview and not mentioned nickel or lithium, which I reckon is a pretty good effort. However, nickel and lithium, what's going to happen? Will there be a recovery? I mean, we have seen the government step in and try and support, I think it's nickel prices. We have seen lithium miners closing or mothballing mines. Where are we going with those two commodities? So look, nickel, it's, it's a very complicated picture. But if I had to say what is the difference amongst a number of commodities or basically, and in particular nickel, is that it is facing a structural change in terms of how, how nickel is supplied. What we're seeing coming out of Indonesia has been nothing short of just incredible and game-changing. They have completely reworked supply to the point of being able to supply the, the required nickel for the battery sector, right? In a way... Of, of using a certain type of nickel ore, which no one really thought they would be capable of, of doing at the low cost that they managed. And so this market is now flooded with enough nickel for stainless steel, which accounts for, you know, 60 to 65% of, of nickel demand. And even for the battery sector, which is now around 15% of, of nickel demand. So when we look at nickel, I'd say Indonesia has completely done a step change. And the biggest concern that, that we have right now is 
all your long run price assumptions for nickel are being revised down lower, just given that everyone is now factoring in what Indonesia has put in. And that puts enormous pressure on Australian supply and whether Australian supply can compete in an environment flooded with that Indonesian nickel. And lithium? So look, lithium, I would, I would say it is more on the cyclical side. This is, uh, you know, an incredible boom and bust story. And it's really the story of what happens with nascent commodities, you know, when it starts emerging. The issue here, though, is, you know, we do expect nickel and lithium, but lithium in particular, the recovery to happen. The, the problem is, is that you have a lot of supply waiting in the background, mm. right? Now, demand has slowed for lithium. That's been clear. But when we talk about slowdown, it's it, like, I'll take China, for example. You know, we're taking EV sales for, say, 80% year-on-year in 2022. In 2023, it was 25% year-on-year. Now, that's, that's a slowdown. But you'd take 25% year-on-year, you know, if it was any other market. But supply had just gotten so far ahead of the curve that 25% year-on-year is considered a bad demand year. And that's really what has, has made lithium suffer is that it just, the supply just has outpaced. And now there's latent capacity. So even if we see prices rebound, you have probably supply in the background that can come online in the next two years. So this oversupply, in our view, is at least going to persist for at least two years looking ahead. Okay, Vivek, I'm looking for some good news here. You haven't done much in terms of coal or iron or, or nickel or lithium. What about uranium? Uh, that seems to be a commodity that does have some friends around the place. Yeah, look, with, with uranium, it, it is a story of supply disappointment from, from both Canada and, and Kazakhstan. But I would say the, the biggest driver has been the, the demand hopes. You know, and, and this is something that is coming through more in terms of the promise, in my view, of, of small modular nuclear reactors. This is something that can potentially change the nuclear market and something that is still very much emerging and being understood. But the demand potential from that part of the market is what could really cause supply-demand imbalance. But I would say that the key reasons, particularly of late, that we've seen prices rise has been that supply just hasn't been able to, to match expectations. And that's what's, what's tightened this market more than otherwise. So yeah, uranium has been, been a standout from that perspective. Okay, so we, we, I mean, in my following of this as a reporter, we have talked about super cycles in commodities. I'm guessing that we're not in a super cycle. And in fact, we, uh, I don't know whether we're in, a, we're in a super trough or anything like that, but kind of where are we in the cycle for commodities? And I know the answer is depends on the commodity, but we're not in a super cycle at the moment, I suppose, is my question. Look, super cycles are the most interesting part of how we look at commodities. And it is very difficult to know at any single point whether we're in one because it is so long dated. Hmm. You know, we are talking multi-decade view of like when or how long a cycle can be. And so if you look in history, there's really been three. You know, we've seen the American industrialization, early 20th century, post-war Europe and Japan. We saw another commodity super cycle. And then of course, China. Now, historically, they've all involved energy, metals, and agricultural commodities. When we talk about a super cycle today, we are talking about exceptionalism because we are not saying every commodity, we are saying the ones needed for the energy transition. So we're saying no to, to oil and your typical fossil fuels, and we're saying yes 
to things like lithium, nickel, copper, aluminium, um, you know, a lot of these metals that are needed in the transition. And, you know, and, and so this is now where the market is positioning. But if you look at, our, say, Australia's investment pipeline of projects, you know, if we talked about the peak of the China boom, you know, we were north of 200 billion in a single year, right? We'd be lucky to be 40 to 60 billion by the end of this decade. So, you know, this cycle that, that we talk about, it is certainly not looking to be as beneficial to Australia because we're not seeing the CapEx hit as aggressively. Now that can change. We can move towards further downstream processing. We can certainly then look potentially at hydrogen. These are both avenues that can lift our CapEx significantly. But in terms of what we're seeing right now, yeah, it's very hard to say with, with conviction that we're in a super cycle right now. Vivek, thank you for talking to Fear and Greed. Thank you. That was Vivek Dar, Director of Mining and Energy Commodities Research at Commonwealth Bank. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day.